and then I have to preach after that. Wow. It's great to have people who are passionate readers of scripture in the church. Amen. I love that passage uh, because it really does give every pastor a pass where it says the uh, preaching is foolishness. So if ever anyone says, that was a really bad sermon that Sunday, I'm like, well, it's always foolishness. It's always terrible, right? Um, our, our, uh, I think that passage for me and Paul always says, whatever I consider strong or good or mighty in the world, it always needs to check my spirit. Because maybe I'm not delighting in what is of God, but what I think is mighty, good, true, and noble. Because it has to be seen through the cross. And if it doesn't measure up to the cross, is it really worth pursuing? And we're going to look at our priorities in light of Christ's sermon this morning. We're going to look at, at uh, um, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And this is my final sermon as a single pastor. <laughs> it's, uh, I was writing it this week, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. It just kind of sunk in and hit me today. So um, I, I am so glad that it's Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Um, it really does put things into perspective for me personally, and I hope that this passage hits as hard at home to you as it did me this week. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountain. He sat down and his disciples came to him and he taught them saying, Happy are people who are hopeless because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of my name. Be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harassed the prophets who came before you. The written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, growing up in the church, I heard the Sermon on the Mount. How many of you have heard that exact passage before, right? And we've heard many different translations. I, for one, prefer the blessed are you who are weary. Blessed are you who grieve, for you will be comforted. That's the language that I grew up in the church. Well, when we hear this Sermon on the Mount, some of us who are raised in the church may not, it, it may be really difficult for us to hear it with fresh ears, right? And I really do want to get to the heart of what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples in these words, these common beatitudes that we've heard in the church over and over and over again. I really want to hear what Christ is trying to teach those first disciples. And what's something that's been helpful for me whenever I hear a scripture passage is how would the first hearers of these words respond? 
how would I respond to these words hearing it for the very first time? And I think that's what's so important every Sunday is that we come to the scriptures as if we're hearing it for the first time. Because God's lessons, his graces, his joys are new every morning. Amen? So approaching it with that humble, open heart as a student is so important. I called this this sermon, Presence is Blessing, because I think there's such a tangible need to understand about the presence of God, the presence of Christ, and who we are called to be present as Christians in the world, associated with these blessings or these, this happiness that Christ is talking about. Well, Jesus saw the crowds, right? Let's start at the very beginning. Jesus saw the crowds, and where did he go? Went up a mountain right? Then he sat down with his disciples and taught them. And when Jesus goes up a mountain and there's a crowd down at the bottom and he's teaching his disciples, our bells are supposed to go off. And we all have an Old Testament bell in our head, whether you know it or not. And that Old Testament bell is supposed to go off when we read about that. Because who else went up a mountain to meet with God? Moses, right? So Moses went up to meet God on the mountain. And there was a crowd down below the Israelites, right? And who waited for them? Miriam and Aaron at the, at the base of the mountain, right? And then the rest of the nation of Israel was down there. So we're supposed to really think something is happening here that God is fulfilling, that God has always been pursuing even since the time of Moses. God is having a mission in the world and wanting to fulfill it. And Christ is now ushering in, embodying and fulfilling that mission of God in the world right there on the mountain. How many of you are hikers or enjoy going up into mountains, right? I love, I'm sure you know, I love going up into mountains. And there's that sense of awe when you finish your hike and you see the view and you feel like you're up on top of the world. You really do feel like you're at the crossroads of heaven and earth, right? I'm not the only one that that feels that way, I'm sure. Well, that's why the Bible always goes to mountains is because mountains in the Bible are a symbol of the crossroads of heaven and earth meeting each other. And so when Moses went up the mountain, the mountain is this crossroads of where God is meeting God's people and desiring to join heaven and earth together as one. And then Moses, what? Goes back down the mountain with the words of God. Moses is granted these ten words or ten commands that we call the Ten Commandments on these stone tablets to give back to the people that were waiting for him. And if you counted all the blessings of what Jesus was saying, guess how many there are? They're just a wild guess. Ten, right? So he's, he's receiving again, he's giving these words of God to God's people, calling them into the mission of God in the world, just as Moses had done with the Israelites. So our Old Testament bells are supposed to go off because this has been God's mission all throughout time and eternity, and God's mission is being fulfilled and ushered in completely through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And so when we see this fulfillment taking place, we really do need to enter in and understand what God is trying to do through Jesus Christ. Well, in Deuteronomy and even in Micah that we heard today, we heard God's character. God is a God who delivers. Every time God started off saying something through a prophet in the Old Testament, there was often a time that God said, I am the one who brought you out of 
Egypt. I am the one who delivered you. And even in Micah today, I am the one who met you and brought you out of your slavery, out of your bondage. And that's the exact phrase that he starts off with Moses and that Moses gives to the people as he gives them the ten words or the ten commands of God. So so here's the thing. Have you ever received a command or a law to obey from someone you didn't know? Right? Every day. There's signs from people you don't know telling you what to do as you drive down the road, right? Right? We've all been there. And, I, like, I don't know the person who put it there. I don't know the person who instituted that law. It's, it's just kind of arbitrary, right? It's a suggestion. Leanne knows. It's a suggestion, right? <laughs> it's a suggestion she tells me that all the time those are suggestion marks on the road right and then the cops are there to enforce those suggestions right yeah well we all have been there where we're receiving kind of arbitrary laws from people we don't know and the response usually is it's the law right That's not how we're supposed to hear the Ten Commandments. And by the time Jesus arrives on the scene in the world, Israel had defined the Ten Commandments as this is the law. If you don't measure up to this law, you're going to reap the consequences. When Jesus, when God starts off by giving out the Ten Commandments, he starts off by saying, I am the God who delivered you. That's the heart we're supposed to hear the Ten Commandments, and that's the heart in which we receive the Ten Commandments and respond to the Word of God in the world. This is from the God who delivered us. This is from the God who will be faithful to us to continue to restore us, to continue to bring redemption in the world. That is how I'm supposed to hear the Ten Commandments, from the heart of a God who delivers us and sets us free. It's not arbitrary. It's not from a God who we don't know. It's a God who deeply desires relationship from us, which changes the dynamic of laws completely. It is a God who delivers, a God who is faithful. And last week, we heard about what Jesus did right in the verses following up to chapter 5 here. What was Jesus doing down in the valley? Let me read it to you. Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues. He announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people and set the captives free. And then went up the mountain to give these ten blessings to the disciples. We have a Savior who heals. The God who delivers is the same God revealed in Jesus Christ. Let me say a phrase I say all the time. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time that God has not been like Jesus. We haven't always known that, but because of Jesus, now we do. God is like Jesus, and the heart that the Ten Commandments were given is the same heart that these blessings are now bestowed upon the disciples to teach them about what God is calling all of humanity in in the world. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Those who are hopeless will be blessed. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be blessed. Those who mourn will be blessed and comforted because the kingdom of God is here. Kingdom of God is here. And so I want to invite you into maybe a different reading 
of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Because I feel like God is trying to say through Jesus Christ that it is because of the presence of God that these blessings come. Anyone can give you a good word. Anyone can bless you. The difference is, is God present in those blessings? Because true blessings, true purpose, true joy only comes from the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and I love the Common English Bible. I really don't like this translation that starts off with happy because I feel like happiness is so contingent on circumstance when true joy is a willful choice to be joyful in the presence of Christ. So I, if it was the Ben English version, it would say, joyful are people who are hopeless, for they will be comforted, right? That's sustaining. Because Jesus even ends the sermon here, be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven. And guess what that reward in heaven is? Eternity with Jesus Christ. And guess who came down from heaven? Jesus. So the reward is standing there talking to them. Giving them a sermon. Teaching them. You have a great reward in heaven. And I'm right here. That's what he could have said in the subtext. Because the reward from heaven. Eternal life. Our freedom from death and sin. And perpetual destruction in the world. Was standing there on that mountain. Blessing them. And because of the presence of God. They were blessed. <laughs> so I want to invite you into a different reading this morning that I feel really reflects the heart of God in these moments, in these words that Jesus is giving the disciples. And I'm going to try not to cry. No promises. But as we read this, I want you to fill in the blank because I feel like it is more of talking about who God is with because if God is present, there is blessing. Amen. God is with people who are hopeless. Because the kingdom of God is theirs. God is with people who grieve because they will be made glad. Why? Because God is present with them. God is with people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. God is with people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness because they will be fed and made full. Why? Because God is with them. God is with people who show mercy because they will receive mercy from the God who is with them. God is with people who have pure hearts and they will see God. Why? Because their purity of heart helps them to see the God who is always present with us. God is with people who make peace because they will be called children of God. God is with people whose lives are harassed because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God is with you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kind of bad and false things about you, all because of my name. So be full of joy and be glad because you have a great reward in heaven, and that reward is tasted through the presence of God. In the same way the people harassed the prophets who came 
before you. God is with you. And you are blessed when God is with you. And so these commands, these words are not an arbitrary command or legalism that God is saying. God is saying this is the direction, this is the movement, the advancement of the kingdom of God. And if you want to be a part of that mission in the world, if you want to be present where God is present, be among the hopeless. Be among those who mourn. Be among those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Be among the peacemakers because God is present with them. And God blesses those who pursue peace. God blesses those who comforts the mourning. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God blesses those who pursue a pure heart so that they can see God in the world. Are you tracking with me this morning? Christ desires to be so present with us. And these 10 words are an open door for us to be just as present with God as God is to us. So if you, I've, as a pastor, one of the biggest questions I get is like, Pastor, my devotions are dry. My prayer life seems empty. I, I feel far away from God. I feel like I'm going through a wilderness season. We have a lot of titles for that in the church, this dryness that we feel. I feel like Jesus is saying, if you're thirsting for my presence, go talk to someone who's hopeless. Go, go grieve with someone who is grieving and see the comfort of God invade that space. Folks, I, I feel like I have one of the hardest but most beautiful jobs in the world. I have sat by bedsides holding people's hands as death was coming for them the very next day. And they're recounting their whole entire life, telling me and pouring out to me the things that they wish they had done better, the things they had wished they had done differently. And I don't have all the answers. Simply because I have reverend in front of my first name doesn't give me all the answers. Thanks be to God. But I sit there and I listen and I grieve with them and I, and I do my best to comfort them. And every single time I'm blown away by the peace the Spirit comes simply by listening and being present. Being as present with others as God is present with us. So if your spiritual journey is dry... Go to those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness just like you are. Gather around scripture and see Christ together. There's something great about sitting down on a mountain and talking. And that's what Jesus does with his disciples. You can find that around a coffee table. You can find that around a fellowship hall with cookies. You can find that around other places in Boise where you can sit down and just talk about what God is doing in each other's lives. I think sometimes in our culture, we have a tendency of viewing commands as arbitrary as Israel kind of became to see the Ten Commandments. That if we hear a sermon from Christ that this is the way to be blessed, this is the way to pursue happiness. When Jesus is saying, find your heart in my presence 
And then you're naturally going to go and gravitate towards these things. You're going to gravitate towards the homeless, gravitate towards the hopeless, gravitate towards those who are mourning. And I think sometimes we want to go up the mountain to escape the bad stuff that's happening down in the valley. You know what? I always put myself in Moses' shoes. He comes back down the mountain having weeks with God, chiseling things out on stone tablets, ready to give this incredible sermon, all of these beautiful words to the Israelites, and what does he find them doing? Dancing around a golden calf. They took all of the jewelry from all of the people in Israel, melted it down, and made a cow. And they're dancing around the people. And God's like, hey, Moses, how's it going? And he said, the struggle is real. I'd want to smash the tablets right there, right? I'd want to say, you don't deserve these words from the Lord who has delivered you out of Egypt, and now you're worshiping a cow. That's all pastoral frustration wrapped up in one story right there. Did you not just hear my sermon? One day, I gave a sermon at a, at a different church that will remain nameless. I gave a sermon. I've told you the parable of the ducks, right? The ducks waddled into service, and the, past, the duck pastor opens the duck Bible, and he says, God has given you wings, wings to fly, wings to soar above your oppression. God has set you free and given you wings. And the ducks are like, amen, and then they waddle home. I gave that sermon as an illustration about how to love one another. How we've been told, that we've been set free to love each other fully. And then I walk out in the foyer, and there's two people fighting over the type of coffee they were going to serve in the fellowship hall. God has given you wings, and you're still waddling, right? That's how Moses felt when he came down with these words. And Jesus, I'm sure, as he walked down the mountain and he heard the disciples bickering and he heard all of this other stuff that we dance around our holy cows so much that sometimes I'm sure God wonders if it even ever sinks into our hearts. But God is faithful to deliver us even from our stupidity. Amen? So don't get impatient when people don't get it because you've been there too. <laughs> God is faithful to deliver us from anything that sets in our way. And oftentimes I think when we hear, and I'm wrapping it up, I promise. Oftentimes I feel like we hear sermons on the mount or the Ten Commandments and say, there's a choice here between earthly things and heavenly things. And, and, I, and I think there's some truth to that. The world has ways of doing things. God's kingdom is not of this world. They, they have different categories. We pursue peace in the world by swords perpetually. Humanity doesn't get it that peace doesn't come through swords. And Jesus said, hey, those who live by the sword die by the sword. And like, what did you say, Jesus? You know, as, we're, as we continue to try to, to realize peace in the world through warfare. And Jesus says, blessed are those who make peace, for you shall be God's children, right? And oftentimes we define those categories of peace by the ways of the world. So sometimes it is important to understand the difference between the earth, the worldly ways, and heavenly ways. But I don't think God is asking us 
I don't think Jesus is asking us to make a choice between earthly ways and heavenly ways. Jesus is inviting us into the work of earth and heaven becoming one. Amen? And because we have been so blessed by Christ, I believe our response is to turn and be a blessing in the world. We have received a foretaste of heaven coming to the earth through Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is here in Jesus Christ. And so we are called to then go and be that foretaste of heaven for a broken, mourning, heartbroken world. Be that foretaste, that blessing. Be the source of others' happiness in this world. Does that resonate with you this morning? So I want to ask you just two questions. Do you know that God is with you? I don't want you leaving the sanctuary today without knowing that God is cares for you, God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. God is with you, and God cares for you. Then the next question, are you blessed? Then I encourage you to go and be a blessing. Go and pour out the gifts that Christ has given you in this world. Comfort those who mourn. Pursue righteousness, hunger and thirst for it. Be peacemakers, be meek, for you will inherit the earth. Not the strong, not the powerful. The meek inherit the earth. And God is a God who keeps God's promises, amen? So be among those who are a blessing to the world. The church is called to go back down the mountain and serve the needs of the broken, dying world, just as Christ has served our own needs. Let me bless this meal, this holy sacrament, as we come to receive the blessing that Christ has given us. Lord God, on the table where you were betrayed, you were denied by both Peter and Judas, you still shared that holy communion with them. Lord God, may this table always be open for everyone. Just like the song we sang, for everyone born, a place at this table, even those like Judas, even those like Peter, who are on their faith walk and they just get it wrong sometimes, Lord God. May redemption and forgiveness and blessing happen around the table. So, Lord God, as we, we ask you to bless this holy sacrament and as we receive the covenant of your cup, and your broken body and shed blood, may it be understood that it was because Christ wanted to deliver us and all of Christ's instructions, all of his words come from that heart of wanting to be present and deliver us from all that holds us back. We ask for your holy blessing as we come and desire to be a blessing to each other. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.